here is singer-songwriter, broadcaster, audio-video artist, entertainment agent, and your host for the Dharmic Evolution. It's the master storyteller himself, James Kevin O'Connor. Thank you, my dear friend and fellow songwriter, Susan, from way down under. Susan Moranti, my Australian friend. I love the way she does that. Anyway, welcome back again to the show. And if you haven't yet signed up for your favorite platform, go to dharmicevolution.com, please. And uh, check out the some of the new look that's happening over there on the uh, website. Thank you to my dear friend Deepak, who's doing a fabulous job on that. Well, we're going to go down history lane today uh, about podcasting. And we've got probably the most well-versed person in the universe on the subject. This gentleman was inducted into the Podcasting Hall of Fame in 2016. He's the Vice President of Podcaster Relations for Libsyn, who actually hosts this program along with thousands of others, I'm sure. Prior to joining Libsyn in 2007, he was the President and Founder of Podcast 411 Inc. He's the co-author of the book Tricks of the Podcasting Masters, an editor's pick as a top 10 reference book for 2006 by Amazon. He was listed as the fifth most influential person in podcasting, according to the book Podcasting for Dummies. He's consulted on podcasting for eBay, Jack Welch, Tim Ferriss, Senator Edwards, Governor Bill Richardson, Dr. Mark Hyman, and so many, many more. Well, it's time to strap up our seatbelts because we're taking a ride today from the Music City to the Music City to hang with none other than Rob Walsh. Rob, welcome to the Dharmic Evolution. James, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it's um, we've actually known each other, or I've known you, I should say, um, for probably uh, probably at least four or five years. And um, it, it's a shame that I did not take advantage of um, your wisdom uh, much sooner than I had in the past. And I've uh, been listening to the feed a lot and just a great... Um, opportunity opportunity for anybody out there who's new uh a seasoned veteran but if you're not listening to the feed i would highly recommend it um so i want to start um today just by asking you about the genesis of podcasting and your walk through this space that i don't even think you um had any idea what this thing was going to become or maybe you had a crystal ball and you did know (laughs) But uh, where it's come from, from its humble beginnings, is is quite amazing. It's just an amazing story, and it gets bigger like every month, every week. It seems like lately. So, how did it start for you? The whole thing. How did you even get like know about it and get involved with it? And I was lucky enough. I got involved at the very beginning. So uh, I I knew about podcasting back in in the fall of two thousand four. Uh, read an article. And Engadget said, hey, if you want a podcast, all you do is add this enclosure tag to your RSS feed and you're a podcaster. And I went, hmm, what's an enclosure tag? What's an RSS feed? And I quickly delved into that and realized that, um, one, there was not a single tutorial out there on how to podcast. So this is uh, October 2004. And I knew I wanted to do it. uh, And and I said, oh, I'm going to do a podcast about interviewing other podcasters. And, And that was my first podcast, Podcast 411. And, and I put up on the website 
how, tutorials on how to do it, how to get started. Because again, there was nothing out there, no step-by-step um, for someone that didn't have a website that you know, was just coming into it new. And, uh, and, and those were the early days. And back then when you wanted to subscribe to a podcast, as a listener, it was difficult. You had to download a third-party program. iPod or X was the first one off from August Trometer. Uh, and then you had to go find the RSS feed for the show that you wanted to su- subscribe to. And you had to enter that into the into iPod or X. And then you had to set up your your iTunes on your computer to sync to your iPod to transfer the files over. And you had to remember to take the iPod with you if you wanted to listen on the way to work. So it was um, it was a, it was a lot of work. It was not easy. Um, and then about you know seven, eight months later, Apple got into the game uh, with iTunes support in June of 2005. And, and that made it a lot more uh, accessible. The people could see podcasts, find podcasts. It was finally a, a real directory of a few thousand podcasts that were out there at that time. And, uh, and, and it's grown since then. And I think that was one inflection point. Uh, Two years later, when Apple released the iPhone, where's the original iPhone? I got it here, somewhere here, right here, my desk. Uh, so this is the original iPhone for the- Oh, you have a box full of those too, right? Yeah, so I got all my <laughs> iPhones, but yeah, I keep it nearby. Uh, that iPhone, the original iPhone, um, introduced the first time when you had a basically a computerized device for media consumption that was in your pocket. So you're like, okay, eventually you could see where it wasn't gonna have to be where you had to sync your podcast to your iPhone, to your computer anymore, and you could get podcasts on the go. Uh, Stitcher came along with a program, one of the first programs on on the iPhone, um, third-party programs, uh, where um, it was, uh, you had to jailbreak your phone to get the Stitcher app onto your phone. Uh, so there was some interesting times. And then eventually we got around to uh, iOS 8, and that was when uh, podcast app became native. And that's really where it took off. Um, I know a lot of people want to say, oh, Serial is when it took off. Serial came out a few months later, but it was it was really the podcast app uh, that took off uh, when it became native. That's what podcasting took off and has been growing you know, at, in leaps and bounds ever since. And, and for those that want to say, oh, it's Serial, just remember this. Uh, if it was Serial, season two would have killed podcasting. So um, yeah, it wasn't yeah. as good. Uh, so you know, it really, and the growth really has been on the iOS side uh, today. Uh, iPhone, iOS to Android downloads, we see four and a half to one ratio, five to one ratio uh, in favor wow. of iOS, even though there's five times more Android devices out in the world. Let me ask you this, even to push back a little bit further, and I should know this, but um, like who invented pot? Was it a think tank or like, because yeah, yeah. I, I, I think the whole thing is so fantastic. Like the, the, you know, people had originally probably said, no, this is never going to work, you know, like a lot of things. But yeah, the two people that you often and, and rightly so, given most credit, are um, Dave Weiner and Adam Curry. Dave Weiner for pushing through the spec changes um, to allow the enclosure tag and the RS 2.0 specs. Adam Curry for writing a script on, on a basic script on how to retrieve podcasting uh, podcasts. But I also throw August Trometer in there. Um, it's those three really being the three that really got it going because August Trometer, his program iPod RX was the first GUI, the real first good user interface for subscribing to podcasts. Um, Adam Curry helped push it forward with his, his scripts and the daily source code and, and, and keeping the visibility and having someone who was a known celebrity giving it some, some cre- credence in the early days. But I, I really think it's Dave, Adam, and, and August that 
when, when I look back at, you know, from being there in the beginning, those are the three that I consider the most influential in, in getting it started early on. When you, um, like, what was the point that you, like, said, this, this is going to be bigger than I thought? Was it like when Apple finally came on board or was it last week No, no, no you something know, I, else happened? I, I, I thought it was going to be big early on. I mean, before Apple even supported it, I quit my day job and went podcasting full time. So that was yeah. April 2005. So I, I left a six-figure income to do podcasting. So I early on thought this had potential to be really big. Um, then when Apple got into it in, in June, that kind of validated my thought process. And I even wrote an article before iOS 8 came out when podcast app went native. I wrote an article uh, a couple months earlier saying, hey, this is where podcasting is really going to take off. And so I did have a little bit of a crystal ball um, and, yeah. and have the writing to prove it. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I always thought, you know, podcasting where people don't realize where it's different from video, you know, video is great. It's, it's short, it's short, it's tension span, but where podcasting comes into play and, and the strength is it's a distraction medium. It's, it's something you can listen to while you're doing something else, while you're war walking the dog, working out, doing yard work, driving to work to and from um, at work. It's something that you can have going as a distraction, as uh, getting your mind off of the task at hand that that's, it's, you know, t chewing up all your time. Uh, this just helps pass the day. And, and audio has always had that capability. Video can, it consumes all of your attention. So you can't watch video when you're driving the car. You can't watch video when you're working or you'll get fired, right? So you can't do your work and watch video. Audio was different. And, and podcasting, being democratized, being able to be on demand, I, I felt always had potential to really take off. And we're seeing that. And we've seen that the last few years. So when you first had this idea and you said, I'm going to go in full bore on this thing, both feet, um, did you have a monetization plan in place of how, like you as a pioneer, because there probably wasn't many listeners, not compared to today, but you know, you kind of knew it was going to happen. Um, what was your your game plan for for getting this going? Like, how were you gonna how were you gonna do this? You know, in hindsight, um, my game plan would uh, <laughs> have would have gone better if I had stayed with my day job and and milked off of that teat for a little bit longer. Yeah, uh, I quit. I quit. You know, gave up the income a little early, um, and I could have done the both things. You know, podcasting at night and, and that. But that said, um, monetization early on for me um, was on the consulting side. Uh, I, early on, I got so, some major politicians that I helped them do their podcasts and some organizations. So the early on, my monetization was from the consulting, helping people podcast, um, which I was doing all the time, helping people for free. Um, but people that really needed the handholding, professional organizations, uh, Senator John Edwards, the Sacramento Kings, uh, some other or, uh, professional orgs helping them get into the space early on. That's really where I came in from a monetization point of view. Yeah. And also, um, guys like, you know, uh, Tim Ferriss, who you, mm -hmm. you know, you consulted with and people like that. Um, pretty amazing because really there was probably very few people to, to look for, to like, how do I do this <laughs> and not just do it, but do it well, you know what I mean? And, and like have a plan attached to it. Yeah. Now there's, there's so many podcast consultants out there. 
um, that you, you throw a rock into a Facebook group and you can hit four of them in the head. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so where we are now uh, with this this space, um, and it, it keeps growing, and I get the feeling that it is a very crowded space. But the last time I checked the numbers, um, there's it's still a lot fewer podcasters out there than if you put it up against YouTube or other platforms oh. like that. So. It, I guess there's still runway, huh? There's still room to grow. And the numbers I mean, they give on their podcasting world out there, the 2 million plus podcasters, that's really highly inflated and not accurate yeah. at all because the majority of them are dead podcasts that host on Anchor. Uh, Anchor's become the place for zombies and pirates. Um, there's pirated content on there and there's zombie content on there. Um, but the majority of what's on Anchor is dead shows. I mean, like 80 plus percent over 80%, closer to 90% of what's on there are dead shows where they re release two or three episodes and nothing more. Something you only yeah. released one episode. So you got to take those anchor shows out of the equation and look at what's really active. And when you look at active 10 or more episodes released in the last 90 days, you're under half a million shows. So it's really half a million podcasts are the quote com competition if you're a podcaster. Uh, and that number is really small compared to the 750 million blogs that are out there. You know, or the uh, tens and tens and tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people that are doing YouTube, right? So yeah. from a content creation point of view, podcasting really is a much more niche medium. Um, it's a little bit harder to do. Um, and, and it is, and it, evidently, uh, a lot of people find it harder to stick with. <laughs> Can, yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, I've heard this from so many people when I started, um, many, many podcasters who were veterans um, I started in 2015 had said, if I had any idea how much work this was, I would have never started it. And I mean, we're doing it at a time when it's it's relatively easy compared to what you just spoke about a few minutes ago. Like when you guys first started, you had to go through hell and high water to get this thing, you know, to even to get legs and get out there. Uh, but now it's it's become, you know, there's more tools and there's more resiliency um and and you can just you know put this thing into a format and have people help you etc and there's a lot of uh, resources to help support podcasting um what would you say to um a new person coming on because i heard your um your your um libsyn when you were on the uh, feed recently you had talked about hey if you're a dj which i was in high school and here i am in front of a microphone again all these years later i would have never had any idea but you were encouraging people who have a radio broadcast hey there's space for you here um what would you say to them as far as coming in first step what would we do to get on board and start our podcast? Well, first thing from... is, is to note that you're not going to have any music. So if you're a DJ and you want to spend music and CDs and, and go, hey, I, I have all these Led Zeppelin albums. What do you mean I can't play them? Uh, there are no licenses <laughs> that cover podcasting. Uh, I've had people, I had someone tell me that they had a Led Zeppelin podcast and they had the music and that was their excuse was, well, I bought the CDs. Um, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work. Uh, so you, you can't put copyrighted music up there. Uh, yeah. But coming in, you know, getting started, you already know how to talk. You're not talking to a mic. You know which is the front of the mic. You know where the logo is. You know, it, it, depending on the mic, where you should be talking, not the back of it or the side of it, but, you know, the right place. Um, 
you you have your own vocal cadence. Um, you, you you know again you're you're comfortable speaking if you're a DJ and and it's not just DJs. You know I invite anybody in and get your legs under you and just get started. But that's the most important thing is get started, reach out and and really interact with your audience. And a lot of DJs know that they know that hey when they're on the radio that they really required the listeners out there to, to give feedback, to call in, to be contribute to the show, to be a, a successful DJ. You know the morning shows aren't successful if they don't have a loyal, active audience. And podcasts are the same way. You don't have a really successful podcast unless you have a really active audience. When you um, started, like, and I ask people this a lot, you know, how long did it take you to find your voice or did you have it right away? Maybe you were a public speaker before you started, but I know most people that start, you know, finding their voice metaphorically, not just, you know, to, you know, you, you have to develop a style. And most of us are very clumsy when we come on, Mike. Um, you know, the first few episodes or maybe the first 100 in my case, you know, you want to yeah. say, wait a minute, I don't even want to listen to those ever again, you know. Well, but uh, but how, did, how did you do it? How, did, how long did it take you to find yours? Well, you won't know because I took down the first 30 episodes. Um, so I, I consider that about where I found my voice was after episode 30 or so. Um, I yeah. felt that I had gotten to the point where I was, I had, you know, back in the day, there was no programs for recording Skype. You know, there was no easy way to record audio with someone remotely. Uh, you had to try to do Soundflower. You had to do this application or that. And I finally figured out how to do recording of Skype off the computer with a mixer on a digital recorder. And when I got to that point where I wasn't worrying about the recording anymore, I found it easier to concentrate more on the content of what was going on in the interview. And that helped me really um, find my voice. Uh, but I say it was about 30 episodes in to where I really started feeling comfortable. And then, you know, I, I'm a heavy editor. Um, I became really good at editing. And, and, and with good editing, you, you can make a bad interview sound pretty good. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, unless, of course, the person doesn't talk, <laughs> then you're in trouble. If, if you ask multiple choice question and they answer with yes or no, it's not going to be a good interview. Yeah, that, that's bad. I've had a few of those, too, where the, the guest just does not offer anything at all. That's, that's really tough. Um, so uh, let me see. I wanted to ask you also about, like, in your career, as and you've done a lot of interviews, um, and a, a variety of different interviews on different podcasts. Is there any one particular one that something like really extraordinary happened on an interview or you had a favorite and for some reason, you know, you just said like, wow, that was the best, you know, thing that ever happened. And, and there was something really revealing. And the reason I'm asking is I kind of have this thing of, uh, you know, sometimes it's a drag. You, you got this thing and, you know, sometimes people don't show up and then you, and then you have this like, oh my God, I got to go do this again. But then at, for me, it's like every time I finish it, it's like, I'm so glad I did that. I, I came away with something. So I wanted to know yeah. if there was something really, really particular and fun or interesting or crazy or funny that, that happened that you remember like you know, you know, I, crystal clear. I, in my show, Podcast 411, was about interviewing other podcasters. And, and I think... Of all my interviews, the one that probably is most memorable is with Quincy Jones. Um, you know, wow! And 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 why it was memorable isn't just because it was with Quincy Jones. It was because before the interview, 
It was, uh, I had to submit 20 questions. I couldn't deviate from those questions. I had 20 minutes, you know, I could ask any of the 20 I could fit in and at 20 minutes and it was 20 minutes and no, not a minute more. And don't you ask anything but what's on, on these approved questions. And I'm like, oh, okay, so how am I gonna make this work? How am I gonna make this work? And I, and I got there and I asked the first question and Quincy Jones just ran in a different direction and I just followed him. And we didn't go back to any of the other questions. The rest of the interview, we went 45 minutes in and I'm like saying at 45 minutes in and I'm like, I'm feeling really bad. I think I know I know I'm supposed to have 20 minutes. He's like, don't worry about it. He goes, those people that told you that they work for me. He goes, he goes, I'm having a good time. And, and that was to me, that was my favorite because here I was going in expecting this cold, you know, celebrity persona. And what I found was the most human being possible and who was willing to talk about all kinds of stuff stuff i had to edit out it was so funny that it was not appropriate yeah. you know but it, it was just <laughs> he was just the greatest guy and, and it was he had a good time i had a good time and we went way way past the amount of time and we didn't even go to the standard questions that's got to be the most flattering thing i mean because he probably has that in place as a screening technique mm -hmm. of, of course to like all right get me in get me out because i you know i'm busy <laughs> but obviously he had a great time um Hey, so the, the, the latest and greatest news of the day, that, and I think is Netflix is now getting into podcasting. So can you, can you share a little bit of what that's about? Yes and no, they are. Um, they're using it for marketing. Uh, it's in the marketing department. They're using the podcast as a complement to content that's originally created content on Netflix and, and as to keep engaging with the, the audience. So as you know, for those who have Netflix, you know that when they release a season like Altered Carbon or whatever the, the, the series is, you know, uh, Stranger Things, um, they release all the episodes at once and boom, it's there and you get to consume it. And if you really love the series, by the end of that weekend, that first weekend, you've consumed all 10 episodes, right? You've gone through the whole series that season and now you got to wait 52 more weeks for the next season yeah. if you're lucky. Right? If you're lucky, you wait 52 weeks. Sometimes it's longer than that. So what Netflix is trying to do with the podcast is give away for those fans of those shows that they've they're, that they're in production to interact with the content, you know, and and be engaged with that content and keep it top of mind, which is a great use of podcasting. It's branded content to help for you know promote and prolong the relationship with that watcher and now listener of that show. So I, I love what, what Netflix is looking to do with this. It's not, as far as we can tell, where they're creating original content that's standalone. Hey, maybe we're going to throw spaghetti at the wall and see which of these series clicks. And now we're going to go ahead and make a, a television show off of it. Although that they could do that. Um, but right now, what Netflix is doing, again, it's more about supporting current content. Um, in, in, in an extended way, you know, creating basically fan casts for the different shows. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Spotify, but before we talk about that, I, um, monetization, um, Glow is like a, a featured um, area of opportunity on the Libsyn platform. Could you, you know, talk to us a little bit about that, how that works and, you know, why people should be interested in that and what they should take action on? Right. So, um, We've had different ways for people to monetize for a while. Uh, we've had advertising um, 
for 14 plus years, uh, we've had advertising opportunities. But in most of those cases, your shows had to be at least 5,000 downloads per episode. If you're not that right. at that level, the advertisers we work with just really, it wasn't in their best interest to create a, a promo code, to take the time to track how things went and, and to see if they needed to re-up. So, you know, we were able to work with advertisers to get them down to 5,000. Some of the advertisers wanted to start at 50,000 per episode for shows. Uh, but we were able to get it down to 5,000. And then we also had a premium offering that we rolled out uh, called My Libsyn. And My Libsyn is where we create a smartphone app and the audio and the video or blog posts can be consumed on the smartphone app. But even there, if you're not at least at 1,000 downloads per episode, if you didn't have a global audience of at least 1,000 uniques, it really didn't make sense for you to do the my lips in because you're only going to get one or two percent and we have to build this app so we really looked at it okay do we have a solution for people the because at 1000 by the way 1000 downloads per episode that puts you in the top 20 percent of shows that host on libsyn so that meant to us we really didn't have a solution to help the other 80 percent monetize and then we looked at Glow, and Glow is a solution where anybody can sign up. If you have one or two or no listeners yet, you can sign up and try to monetize. So what we looked at it from Glow was a way for us to help bring monetization to any level show, whether they're starting out or even maybe they've been going for a couple of years and, and the niche that they're in is at most ever going to get 50 to 100 listeners. Right? It, might, it might be about the local T-Bones um, you know, minor league, not even single A ball team in Kansas City, or it could be whatever, and you're not going to have a big audience. And, and Glow is that opportunity for any podcaster, all 100%, to use it to monetize on audio, premium audio content. Awesome. Um, Spotify. And so I want to just ask you, and this this could go a little bit outside of the realm of podcasting, but... There's been a growing, um, there seems to be a growing um, legion of companies, large companies who go out there and build and build and build and build brands that are not profitable. So they're stacking up like all of this, you know, I mean, the companies just get like, and the ones that come to mind are, you know, Spotify, um, uh, Airbnb, Tesla, there's there's a bunch of them. Those are the ones that I'm, I'm pretty sure are currently in that position. And it's just, it's almost incredible how big they're getting, yet they don't make money. They just recycle and just keep, in, you know, I think Uber is another one that was went through this. And um, what is your take as far as a consultant looking out at this do you feel any sense of, of danger with this that, you know, this is what we've come to be? I mean, uh, it's a far cry from what the Rockefellers, Rockefellers built in the old days with the railroads and things that were, you know, outrageously profitable. Um, and there are wonderful, profitable companies out there, but it feels a little disturbing to me to see this going on. What's your take on it, Rob? Well, I would say, you know, you put the Spotify and the Uber in one category, but I would take Tesla and I'd move them into the category with Amazon, right? Well, while Tesla hasn't been overly profitable, they have recently gotten to profitability and they haven't been profitable because they've been spending a lot of time ramping up and building factories and, you know, the Gigafactory in Nevada and they're doing another Gigafactory in Texas. So they're spending a lot of time building the infrastructure for physical products and are they worth 
a market cap that's combined greater than all the other car manufacturers? No. But I, I don't think you put them in the same category as Uber, whose business model is, okay, how are you ever going to make money? Right? Yeah. Um, so I would put Uber on that category. I don't see how you ever make money. Um, Amazon didn't make money for the longest time, but now they are, right? So they built up, they built and built and built until they got out the, the, the factories everywhere and they got everything that they've gotten in place now. So I kind of put Tesla over there, but now we look at Spotify and you go, okay, how are they going to make money? Well, they only make pittance from the music, right? Because of the licensing, they have to give most of the money back to the record labels. Right. And now they're, they're acquiring all this podcasting companies and okay, but you're only going to make a small amount of money from the advertising, a small percentage. So the money that they're putting in the acquisition, the amount of money they've put in, I, I don't see how you justify it. Um, I don't see the business model there uh, long-term other than, you know, it's okay. We, they got to keep acquiring, keep acquiring and bringing in more funds and releasing more stock and getting more cash and capital and, and, and doing reinvesting. But um, at the end of the day, I, I don't see the business model that you see with uh, Amazon and Uber and, and Tesla. I see it more along the lines of an Uber. Yeah, so case in point on that one is um, they spent a hundred million on Joe Rogan, and um, it's like, well, you know, how, what do they have to do to support that investment? Well, you know, Joe, Joe Rogan was probably of all their investments the best one. If you look yeah. at all the other investments they made, the, the Gimlet investment was a, was a, was a boondoggle. When you look at how much they spent on 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 Gimlet, they spent a couple hundred million, two hundred and something million, on Gimlet. And Gimlet, at the time of that acquisition, all the shows in the Gimlet network combined that month had one-sixth the downloads that Joe Rogan had alone that month. So wow. what Gimlet had in, in one month, Joe Rogan had six times more downloads than that, that that month. So an investment of $100 million into Rogan to get him exclusive, probably their best investment in the podcast space. Uh, it shot their stock up. Um, it, it brought in the probably the most influential podcaster out there. Um, the person has had more downloads than anybody else by far. I mean, it's over four and a half billion downloads. No one else is even at two billion. So by far the, the biggest podcast out there um, by leaps and bounds. So I, I give Spotify credit on that one. I, you know, I think that was a good investment. The amount of money they spent on, on Gimlet, how they're going to make that back, I you know, I don't see that. Um, uh, and, you know, in, in the anchor acquisition, again, don't see that either working out for them. So what do you what do you think the future is for Spotify? You think they're going to be around in five years or do you think this is this goes by the wayside? Well, Spotify, I think, has gotten too big to fail. Um, will yeah. all of the pieces and all the services they're offering be around in five years? Probably not. Some things will get yeah. weeded out. And if, if Spotify ever got to the point where they were going to collapse or fail and, and they needed a rescue, you know, uh, Google would be there or, or someone would be there, Microsoft, someone with a business model that has cash would be there to come in and swoop them up. Um, so there, there, there'll be someone that will bail Spotify out. They won't fail. That said, doesn't mean all the services they offer will continue to be available. Yeah. How about we talk about Facebook for a little bit? Um, another one jumping on the the um, podcasting bandwagon and rolling out 
their um, opportunity for themselves and for podcasters. Um, how is that looking um, to you guys? And how also, how does all of this um, affect Lib- Libsyn as far as from a business standpoint? Are you guys seeing like a lot more opportunity for you guys? Or is there any kind of threat with competition? I mean, there's other comp, you know, there's other competitors like Squarespace, for example. Um, I I had I still have a couple of websites with them, but I wanted to be with Libsyn because you guys are like the specialists at this, and this is all you do. So, um, what do you think about um, Facebook climbing on board with this? Well, Facebook's getting into it to be a consumption point of view, right? They're going to be an endpoint where people consume the content. They're going to make it easier for people to find podcasts in Facebook and to consume podcasts in Facebook. And for that, we're all for it because we want services. That's always been part of Libsyn's business model has been to partner with everybody that is going to make it easy to consume. We, you know, we work with Apple from day one. Uh, Libsyn was around before Apple. So Libsyn actually started in November, 2004, but you know, we, we've worked with Apple early on um, and we were the launch partner with Spotify. We were the launch partner with Google Play Music. We were the launch partner with Ghana and Amazon Music and and many others. And, and we see Facebook getting into this as a good thing. It's, it's anytime any of these platforms where there are people can then bring podcasting to the forefront, that's good for all of podcasting. Um, it might not be good for every company, or, you know, but uh, right. o- overall, we at Libsyn, we look at that as a positive because we think that's going to be a benefit to all the, li- the all the podcasters that host with us. Yeah, I have to take this moment to thank you guys at Libsyn for um, making me aware personally of the opportunity um, for some of these other platforms, like especially like Ghana. Um, I don't know what's going on with them. If I think they you know, they see Dharmic evolution and they think, um, you know, I'm, I'm one of them <laughs> or something. But I was looking at the, I said, they're almost as much as, as the Spotify downloads. I think they're even more than the Spotify downloads. I don't have huge numbers, but I'm like, wow, my biggest downloads are on my website and they're almost caught up to that. And so I, because of you guys, I'm now on probably Dharmic Evolution is on like 22 or 23 platforms. And I probably have credit you guys to at least 10 of those, um, which I probably would have never even known about, you know. So, so thank you on behalf of all of us podcasters for that. Yeah, I mean, that's what we try to do. We try to help you get out everywhere because you never know where a show is going to take off. We see some shows, Spotify is the number one place they're consumed. Um, other, most shows, it's Apple Podcasts. But, but number two is up for grabs across the board. And, and I, I don't see a consistent number two um, for podcasters uh, when I look at different genres. Tech podcasts do horrible on Spotify, but do really, really good on Ghana. Right? So tech podcasts tend to find Ghana that were in there early on, tend to find Ghana as their number two, uh, or at least top three. Um, so yeah, Amazon Music, we've seen some shows come in, and Amazon Music is their top place. So some true crime podcast is, it, uh, I shouldn't say it's top, number two place um, is, is Amazon Music. So number two is still up for grabs. Uh, you know, when we look across Libsyn, we see uh, most consumption going to Apple's ecosystem, Apple podcast, iTunes around 60%. Number, so that's number one. Number two is uh, Spotify and, and they're in at 13%. And, and then below that, then you get down to Google podcasts at 2.2%. And then overcast at like 1.8, 1.9%. 1. 
And then it just goes all over the place after that. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about Overcast. I think their platform is wonderful. I mean, mm -hmm. they just something about the layout and the way they thought it through. Really, really great, um, great app to have. And, and it's the only one that really cares about listener privacy. You know, Marco has gone out and he shows you which podcasts are violating listeners' privacy, which ones aren't by tracking listeners. And you can see, you know, does this podcast track me yeah, or yes or no? And it's really surprising. You know, some of the podcasts that are out there that are, are tracking people are ones that should know better and don't it's evidently don't know what they're doing or don't care about listener privacy. And, and, I, and I would have to say it's more likely they just don't know what they're doing. Um, yeah. Um, now, who did you, you said Marco? Marco Arment is the uh, developer of Overcast. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The first time I looked at that, I said, wow, they thought about this completely different than anybody else. And I just love it. I just I wish more people would use it, but um, you know it's it's getting pretty competitive out there. Well, Marco was one of the lead developers for Tumblr, and okay. and then he also created um, uh, and was the lead for um, uh, Instapaper. So uh, he, he's gotten some good cred and chops out there, and so he knows what he's doing. And, and so really is a one man show, and he does it himself. Um, but it, it it's. What we see again, the number three, uh, number four place where consumption happens, and it's only on iOS. So, oh, it is really. I didn't know that. Wow. Um, I wanted to ask you, just going back into history again, about Libsyn and who was the uh, the godfather, if you will, of Libsyn and had the the foresight to see about you know to figure out RSS feeds and hey we're gonna we need to host these things from someplace some central place has to happen to make this thing work um, and your affiliation how did you get connected up with okay. Libsyn so in, in the early days Libsyn was started by four guys that were friends um, in Pittsburgh and um, most of them had gone to the University of Pittsburgh um, it was Dave Mansueto Dave Chican um, uh, Marty and, and Hoops. And, uh, and, and those four are the ones that made Libsyn, you know, with its culture and its ethos and got it going. Um, Dave Mansueto was kind of the one that was the idea behind, hey, we should be supporting podcasting. And the other three guys were more of the tech guys. And they, they were the ones that figured out how to do it and, and how, to, how to do it in a way that was survivable <laughs> from, from a, right. a, 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 when people came and hit your, your feeds that they wouldn't crash everything. So they really figured out technical stuff early on, which gave Libsyn a leg up, one being the first one to do it, um, but also the first one to do it right um, as far as shared servers and, and distributed um, uh, workflows such that when the files got hit a lot, it didn't bring everything down. They were able to distribute that, that, that spike. Um, and then make sure the RSS feeds worked and the constant pinging of the RSS feeds and, and just made it easy for podcasters to upload a file and manage their RSS feed. It was the first, you know, to do that. Um, I came along at, um, right after they started and I became a user of Libsyn. So I, I, I had my first account with Libsyn in March of 2005 and they started in November 2004. So I was one of the early users of Libsyn. And I had the podcast for one podcast where it was the first podcast about podcasting. So I had a lot of listeners that were getting into podcasting, listening to me. And I was constantly saying, Hey, go to Libsyn, go to Libsyn, go to Libsyn. And eventually they came to me and said, you know, you promote us so much. Do you want a job? And I said, yeah. And, and, and I've been with Libsyn now since, uh, 
August 6th, 2007 is when I started. Wow, big anniversary coming up soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you had like, what was it, a total of four different podcasts at, at time? Like, like you're on the feed right now. Like how many are you doing, right, Cur- currently? currently and, um, and how taxing is it for yeah, you? Yeah, well, <laughs> I do the feed with Elsie Escobar, and that's the official podcast for Libsyn. And, and, and um, so I'm the co-host there with Elsie. Elsie does the production, the heavy end, end of it. Um, I am the uh, the writer, the producer, the host, everything for Today in iOS, which is my biggest podcast. That's all about the iPhone. That's about once a month podcast now, um, just because I just don't have the time to do it weekly. Um, and I'd rather get it right than put something out every week that's subpar. And, yeah. and, and then I've got um, where I'm the producer of the eBay for business podcast. So I do that on the side. Uh, I always like to have one client um, before eBay. It was Jack Welch before Jack Welch. It was uh, Tim Ferriss before Tim. It was uh, Dr. Mark Hyman. So I've always had like um, someone who I've, I've been doing uh, podcasts for uh, on the side. Uh, but right now it's eBay and love working with them. Uh, and, and then um there's technically, I've got Podcast 411 still there in hiatus mode. Um, I've got another podcast called Meta Monday Murdercast, which is just a fun little thing I do to just do <laughs> testing out there. And I just release like a one minute, two minute episodes. Just It's more for testing. Uh, it's a stupid podcast. And then I, I do one called Opt In, uh, which you haven't heard me mention on the feed, which is more my no. personal thing, um, which is uh, about data privacy. So if you just search for opt-in, it's a, it's a consumer and listener data privacy podcast. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that, about data privacy. And, and you made a, um, a very strong point about it's, it's an opt-in world now. Could you just give us, um, you know, the, the, um, the high points on that? Yeah, GDPR came out a couple of years back. And, and the big premise behind GDPR was, look, if you're going to manage people's data, if you're going to process it, if you're going to track people, if you're going to share it, put their inf- personal information in a database, you need to give the consumer the right to opt into that processing, that storing, that tracking. Um, and it needs to be a clear, concise, very easy to understand opt-in. What are you going to be doing with their data and, and why? And, and before that, there was no opt-in, right? If many people know about Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and they heard all about this and people getting upset. What they got upset about was people found out that their data was being gathered by Facebook unbeknownst to them and sold to Cambridge Analytica to then process it and help influence elections. Uh, you know, by giving some sides an unfair advantage, knowing what people were interested in and then being able to target ads to really played on people's strength or fears right. in, a, in a sense. But ultimately what people got upset about was, wait a second, my personal information is being shared, gathered and, and then sold and shared. When did I agree to that? Well, they didn't. So the EU, the European Union said, this isn't right. It's not ethical. And most people agree with that, say it's not ethical, and they put in GDPR. Well, Apple just released iOS 14.5, and they added in a, a similar rule, which was apps can't share and process personal information with third parties or others unless there is an opt-in made available to let people know that that's going to happen. And, and with Apple and GDPR, we've now reached the point where the world is opt-in. 
And, and that's the way it should be. That's ethically how, how it needs to be. And at Libsyn, we've had the, po- the policy that, look, we're not going to allow any third parties we work with to do process or, or we're not going to share personal information with any of these third parties because in podcasting, there's still no place to opt in. So right now there are services out there like pod sites and chartable and others that are taking personal information from listeners, their IP address, which is by definition, personal information. And they're sharing that with third parties. They're tracking those people and the IP address, seeing where they go around the internet, seeing what services they're on and collecting information about them and then processing it. In some cases, using it to validate if that person went to a website and bought something or in other cases to figure out who they are so they can deliver targeted ads to that person. And, and in podcasting, that's wrong because the listeners just don't have a place to opt in to say, yes, you can, you can gather this. And, and the big issue isn't just about the ads. It's about what happens to that database. Let's say you listen to three cannabis podcasts. And you think they're funny. Maybe you listen to Getting Dug with High and you listen to um, the Mike Tyson podcast and you listen to another cannabis related podcast. Now in a database, someone has just said that you are a cannabis user because you listen to this, this and this and you connect those three dots and now you're a cannabis user. Well, what happens with databases? They either get hacked or they get sold or both. Ask Equifax. Every database can be hacked. Now... You listening to these podcasts in college, didn't think much of it, go into the Navy, finish out your career in Navy as a pilot, you get out of the Navy and you go to Applied Southwest Airlines, and now you're in a database as a cannabis user and you think, I should get this job as a pilot, and you don't get the job. You don't know why. Because the AI went out to a database it had purchased, thinking it was a legal database, it may be legal, um, and, and got information about you, that user, and it said, hmm. This person, because we've been tracking this person all these years, this person's a cannabis user. And that's, that's a scenario that we have an issue with. And, and it might not even be a few years down the line. It could be next week, right? Um, you go in and do something, and now the databases go out, and all the big corporations use AI to go out and scan potential, client, uh, potential employees. So right. that's, that to us is an issue. It gets even more deep if you want to get into the really how bad could this be. Let's say you go and listen to a bunch of uh, lesbian podcasts or LGBTQ podcasts, and then you go to Dubai for business with your partner, and Dubai has gone and bought a database that says, hey, these are people that listen to this, and they track it, and they see you coming to the country, and you're flagged as someone that's doing something in their culture, which is illegal. And now they got someone following you. These are the the privacy issues that are, are out there where maybe... If you knew you're someone that traveled for business, you would not have opted in to allow yourself to be tracked when you listen to those types of podcasts because you know that eventually for your business, you have to go to certain parts of the world where they're not as open or not open at all. Um, So that's the big issue with privacy and podcasting when when listeners can't opt in. Yeah, it's a scary time with uh, all this AI and everything. It's um, it's good and it's it's bad too at times. Um, so as we're getting close to the end here, what what are your feelings about the future of podcasting? Um, good, bad, or indifferent? Um, it's it keeps growing, and every week it's almost like I said earlier. It's kind of astonishing how um, it's it's really just being so embraced by. Every, everyone, really. And um, 
what are you guys forecasting as far as like what's going to happen five years from now? Do you, do you have any forecasts on will it change dramatically? Will it pretty much stay the same? Will it continue to grow? Um, any thoughts or feelings on, on your ideas about it, Rob? Well, I think it has the potential to grow quite a bit from where we're at. Um, right now, if you look in the world on how consumption is done, it, as I mentioned earlier, it's about a five to one ratio iOS to Android, but there's five times more Android devices in the world. So that means the typical iOS device is consuming 25, 20 to 25 times more podcasts per iPhone than per Android phone. Yeah. So right now you ask, why is that? Well, there's a few reasons, but one key reason is there's no native app on Android. When you buy an Android device, there is no native app in there to go, oh, look, here's a podcast app. Let me tap on podcast and see what's there. And people tend to use the native apps more than anything else. Apple Podcasts is used the most. Why? Because it's native. It's there. Uh, iOS 8, when it came out, people go, oh, it's this purple app. And why can't I delete it? Right? That's what got it to the tension. Well, there's not that purple app yet on Android where people go, what is this purple app? And why can't I get rid of it? And why is it here? Uh, and we need that native app. That'll be so what's the going next on with inflection that? point. I mean, you, you really feel, they must feel the pressure to do this. I mean, the, there's got to the, be, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of politics in, on the Android side because unlike yeah. iOS, right? Apple controls the whole ecosystem. If they want to put something in the app on the iPhone, it gets on there. They don't have to go out and talk to the manufacturers because they are the right. manufacturer. They don't have to go out and talk to the carriers because they have deals with the carriers that don't matter. Android, on the other hand, there's the OS that they create, then there's the OS that the skin that's put on top of their OS from each manufacturer. So Samsung has theirs and um, Huawei has theirs and LG has theirs. So now Google has to deal with all of them. And then on top of that, those phones get another iteration to the software from the carriers. So T-Mobile puts their touch on it versus Verizon versus AT&T. So and then that's just in the U.S. And then you get the carriers all around the world. So there's a big error issue politics-wise for Google to put in an app and add an app as native. They have to get buy-in from a lot of different parties. Um, and, and that sometimes can be difficult. I, I, almost every time it's difficult, <laughs> from what I understand. Uh, there yeah. are people inside Google that are pushing that. I think eventually we will get to a point where there's a native app in Android. And when we get to that point, I think that will be an, the next inflection point. Then podcasting will take another step growth. And I think eventually we're not going to get to a point where there's five times more downloads on Android as there is iOS, but I think we can get to a point where it's close to parity. And if we can get to close to parity, that essentially doubles where we are right now in consumption. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Um, hey, by the way, welcome to Tennessee. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's, it's been a year, just about a year, right? You've been here. I got here July twenty sixth. Yeah, right. And yeah. Right in the peak of one of the one of the uh, COVID peaks. So I was right wow. here. Yeah. What what a what a change, right? And and you came from where? Were you in Pittsburgh? Or Kansas City. Kansas City. Okay. So, yeah. So we're neighbors. So uh, yeah, I I did the same thing. I was about a year early for the pandemic, but um, but I'm starting to, you know, really. Uh, enjoy the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the we, Tennessee thing. We, we know, went out as a family and ate in a restaurant for the first time last night. Yes, yeah, so, really? Nice. It's July. This is the first time we've eaten in a restaurant since we got here. Yeah, it's, it's, it is something to celebrate. You know, the, the simple things in life that we took, we so took for granted, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of a blessing to have it. Um, as we're, as we're saying goodbye, it just, um, 
I want, I'm going to put all your links, of course, in the show notes, Rob, but is there, is there um, anything you want to leave in particular? Do you want to leave an email address yeah. or anything? Okay. Yeah, I would say if you want to learn more about uh, podcasting or Libsyn or, or any of my shows, just email me, Rob, R-O-B, as in Robert, R-O-B, at Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N, stands for Liberated Syndication, at Libsyn. So Rob at Libsyn.com. And happy to answer any questions you have. If you're looking to get started podcasting, happy to get you started down that path. Um, I think everyone should podcast. Uh, Everyone has a voice. Uh, I think the biggest impediment uh, to getting people into podcasting is always they don't like the way their voice sounds. And and I just say, well, remember this, Gilbert Gottfried has a podcast. And if he can have a podcast, anybody can have a podcast. (laughs) Amen. Rob, thank you so much for coming on the Dharmic Evolution. I know you're a really busy guy, and I, I'm really uh, so delighted to um, to sit and t- take some time to uh, go over these things today. I learned a lot, of course, and I'll keep listening to the feed. So I just want to wish all of God's blessings on you, your family, and your new home in Tennessee. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show, and I look forward to seeing you at a local uh, Nashville podcaster meetup. That was awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Don't forget to check out the show notes for everything Rob Walsh in there. So until the next time, when we meet again, I'll either see you on the socials, I'll see you from the stage. Ride on, ride on, baby, won't you take a ride with me? Ride on, ride on, we can untangle all the mystery. If wishes were windows, I'd open one and find That freedom is really a simple state of mind So ride on, ride on, baby, won't you take a ride with me? Ride on, ride on, we can untangle all the mystery Ride on, ride on, baby, baby, you and I can find the key Ride on, ride on, we can unlock each other's destiny I taste the breeze of freedom, it's tingling on my tongue You and I out on the road will stay Pictures in your mind 